Good morning. We're Mike and Sabrina Cummings, and uh, we've been at Crosspoint for a number of years now, and we were um, asked to start the worship this morning after the music, so we're going to do that. Um, as you can tell, this is not the most comfortable place for the both of us. But <laughs> Speak <laughs> but, for yourself. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> she's comfortable. I'm not. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we think about the verses that uh, we're asked to read today. Uh, Acts 1, 8 through 11. And I know when we were reading those, um, the thing that keep, kept coming to my mind was truth and power. Um, to think about the truth that Jesus is who he says he is. But we see that. This, these verses are talking about his ascension. So when you think about the power, he overcame death, as we just saw in our singing. Um, think about the power that's coming with the Holy Spirit. So all of those things are falling into place that those four verses are telling us about the church. Um, Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit comes down, and the church goes out, like we've been talking about the last few weeks. We think about that. Look how it's impacted us over 2,000 years later. We're here today talking about those things in Acts chapter 1. So we'll read the verses and then we'll pray after. But you shall receive power. The Holy Spirit has come upon you, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now we had spoken these things. While they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven... As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will soon come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Let us pray. Dear Lord, most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today humbly asking that you be here with us during this service, and you guide the messenger today, Lord, as we uh, absorb the message. Thank you again for your truth and your power and your love, your truth that you are who you say you are, and your power to save a lost and dying world. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray, amen. 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 Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Sabrina. Good morning. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go back to Acts, Acts chapter 1 of the verses that we just read. Good to see you all. I'm really excited about this morning. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. We are uh, in the book of Acts for uh, the foreseeable future, and it's great for us just to sit down and see kind of lived out in the passages of Scripture what we've been talking about this whole year, how the gospel drives us, the Spirit empowers us, and we are sent to the world around us, some of us may cross the ocean, some of us may just cross the street. Everywhere that we go as God's people, we are sent. We have an identity. And what we're going to see this morning is, is we've entitled this series, literally Acts, and we give you three arrows, up, down, out. All of these are put together because if we leave one of these three truths that Jesus went up, the Spirit came down, the church was sent out, we'll miss it in some way or the other. Jesus ascended, 
the spirit descended and the church was commissioned to the world. So as we look in Acts 1 this morning, just as a reminder, we want to see that the book of Acts is not only how Christians lived, but it set a pattern for us how we can be God's people Today, oftentimes we look in the book of Acts and we see how God is working, sometimes in a very unique way, and other times there's just portions, and as we walk through this, you'll see that like every single day wasn't like an action movie, just something crazy happening every day. That there's portions in the book of Acts that it's just the up and downs of everyday life. You'll see these summation passages that we get to, and that really helps us because oftentimes, if your experience is like mine, there's not fireworks and smoke every day. Sometimes it's just blah, right? Jesus is Lord in the fireworks and the smoke. Jesus is Lord in the blah. The Spirit empowers us. Oftentimes when we don't even understand or sense that he's empowering us. And no matter where we find ourselves in life, we find ourselves in the reality that he went up, spirit came down, and we are sent out. So I'm feeling a, a little old this morning, not like bones hurting or whatever because it's still 85 with 100% humidity, right? We got that for about another week or two weeks or so. But I had a class reunion this weekend, um, 20 years, class of 2001. Um, for West Jones, and these are the times and seasons in your life that you don't wish you ran for class office 20 years ago, because you're in charge now, okay? So I found myself Friday, I was on the West Jones practice field, and so I was, we were putting up tents, and some of, uh, I was the only dude on the class officer, so I had four great ladies that helped me, and so I'm a football player, they were artistic, so they brought balloons down, and we were tying them up on the practice field, and you had the class of 71, the class of 81, if you're the class of 91, y'all skipped out, okay, so we had to jump to the class of 2001, but I'm on the West Jones practice field, it's 250, so, you know, the line that extends from Alpha to Omega is out there on Spring Hill Road, right, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you sit in it every day. And so the wind starts whipping up, and this one, one of our class officers, she had got four gold letters, 2001. And then off Amazon, she got this inflatable, it looked like just like a Mustang. It looked just like the West Jones emblem. And what happens is we're tying up the balloons in the gold numbers, and the Mustang starts blowing across the practice field. So... I, I don't run, I just kind of waddled, I guess, over and got them and brought them back. And so we went, well, they took off again, particularly uh, a, Z, a, a zero and the Mustang. Now this time they're not going towards the softball field, they're going straight towards Spring Hill Road. So I start waddling again. Now I'm in flip-flops this whole time, okay? I've got shorts on and I've got like a green Under Armour shirt on, okay? so. I, I look similarly kind of like a West Jones football coach in just some ways from a distance. So what happens is the, the Mustang and the Zero get to the fence that separates the practice field, and they just decide to go on through. So now I find myself hurtling the fence, which was an adventure in itself, and traffic has stopped for me on Spring Hill Road. As the balloons cross Spring Hill Road, they take a quick left, and now we're literally diving and dipping as the wind is blowing through cars on Spring Hill Road. So what do I do? I start running down Spring Hill Road. 
While I'm running down Spring Hill Road, this dude rolls down his truck window and goes, hey, coach, looks like you lost something there, right? So I'm, I'm, I get to now I'm at Lonesome Pines, okay? This is not preacher exaggeration. There were a thousand witnesses, okay? I'm still running. At this time, the, the zero has deflated somewhat, and so J.P. Varnell kind of lives on the corner of Spring Hill and Lonesome Pines. It, it dies in his yard. But the Mustang gets a second breath, and it starts going over the trees. And right down from Spring Hill and Lonesome Pines is Harris Estate. You know what I'm talking about? So the Mustang, it's 100 feet above the pine trees in the Harris Estate. You could see it, and it just keeps going up and up. And literally, it looks like the Mustang is galloping through the air. It's just blowing <laughs> over. I can't get to it. It's, it's done. It's not coming down. We're going to do class tailgate without a Mustang. So... I just give up on that. I pick up my deflated, and I'm walking back. Look back. Mustang's still there. Get back to the practice field. Mustang's still there. I don't know how long it stayed up there. Somebody in Harris Estate's got a free Mustang. They woke up, and it's in their pine tree outside. The way that that dumb story that I just experienced worked was there was a mission that literally led to an ascension. (laughs) I'm chasing these balloons, and the more that I chase them, the Mustang just... Ascends, got a breath of fresh air, he went up and he was hovering. In our text this morning, you're going to see that an ascension instead leads to a mission. Because the basis for everything in the book of Acts this morning, it begins this way, that Jesus went up. Now, what I want us to do is to go back to verse 8. We ended in verse 8 last week, but a a few more things I want to say about that. And I want to, as you know, this really isn't in my wheelhouse to move quickly, but I want to use that word relatively this morning, okay? So I want to to move fairly quickly through verse 8, bring some more things out to you. And then I want us to spend the majority of our time this morning talking about the ascension of Christ because the ascension is the forgotten jewel in the gospel to the church. If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you ever heard a message or or, or talked about or thought through the ascension of Jesus, and there might be a few of us that would raise our hand, because this is something that is so imperative to everything that we experience as Christians, and yet so often we have not, as a church globally, seen the riches of the book of Acts as hinges upon the ascension of Jesus. I want you to see first and foremost this morning, title of the message is The Mission and the Ascension of Jesus Christ. We're going to go to the mission first because it's found in verse 8 of the book of Acts, and then we'll see how the ascension just fuels all of this. The mission of Jesus Christ in verse 8, you will receive power, or literally you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We looked at last week how there's three U's in that passage. There's the U before Pentecost, there's a U at Pentecost, there's a U after Pentecost. We can sympathize with the first U because we find ourselves just honestly as as fragile and weak and sinful as the disciples were. They're following Jesus, but man, they just duck and run at the quickest possible scenario. Peter's bold in front of Jesus, then he goes out into the real world and freaks out in front of a 12-year-old girl, right, and denies Christ. But the Spirit was promised to come upon them, not just these 12 apostles, but we'll see in chapter 2, a community of believers that numbered between 120 and 500, many of whom we don't know their names. But they were promised that when the Spirit 
and the power of the Spirit came upon them, they would be witnesses. Now, let me make a few more things, uh, give you a, f- a few more truths about this verse before we dive into the ascension. I want you to see, I want you to see first on, on the mission. I want you to see this is obvious, but we got to remind ourselves, this is Christ's mission. He's speaking. And what I mean by that is, this is a divine mandate. And we could even say it this way. The health of the church globally and the health of the church locally is wholly dependent upon the extent to which Acts 1-8 is being lived out in our everyday life. That's all we got, y'all. I think David Platt said it this way. We are plan A for the evangelization of the world, and there is no plan B. Like, we're it. And this is what we are to spend our lives and be spent in doing being his witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is Christ's mission. And we must remind ourselves of this, particularly in a day where everybody wants to focus on the peripheral. Let me tell you this. You get the gospel right, you get the Great Commission right, and all these other things will take care of themselves. You get God's people grabbing a hold of who they are in Christ and what he's called them to do, guess what? All these social issues will be addressed. People will be taken care of. If we embrace the gospel, guess what? Racism will be eradicated from our life. If we believe the gospel and we take on identity as as God's people, guess what? We'll look after people. We'll take care of people. We'll live self-sacrificial lives. We'll focus on what's important because the gospel is not a byproduct of addressing things. The gospel is is when we embrace what it means to know Jesus and be his people in the world, salt and light will inevitably flow from our life. It's his mission. We got to remind ourselves, this is his idea to be witnesses. I want you to see second though, it is a, it's a, it's a mission of witness. It's a mission of testimony. Notice he says that when the power of the spirit comes upon you, you will be witnesses. The translation Sabrina was reading out of a minute ago, it's pretty cool. Witnesses to me, unto me, belonging to me, that I'm reigning over all, and I'm watching you before me be a witness unto the end of the earth. Now, being a witness implies the fact that you have experienced something to witness about, right? Somebody gets put on a stand in a judicial trial. Where were you? I don't know. What'd you see? I don't know. Usually they have meetings beforehand to help you, you know, what to, to, you know, talk about what you saw and experienced. A witness is always based upon what you saw, what you heard, but most importantly, what you experienced. It's impossible to be a witness unless you have experienced something. Can I make a gentle suggestion this morning? Many people can't be a witness for Christ because they've never experienced Christ. And many times those are people that are found in churches in America. They've heard the Sunday school answer. They they know what their grandmother told them. And man, praise God for godly grandmothers that teach us the story of Jesus. But the story of Jesus is not just something to hear and to regurgitate. It is something that shakes our bones, changes our heart, makes us new creatures and causes us to be born again. Nobody's born a Christian. The only people that become Christians are those that are born again they're changed by this message called the gospel. But isn't it amazing? 
that when Jesus changes our life, we do have a story to tell about. And aren't you glad he doesn't call you to be a used car salesman? Nothing against used car salesmen. But you don't have to recite a speech. The world doesn't need our speeches. The world doesn't need our finely tuned, planned presentations. The world just needs people to say, man, I really don't know what happened, but Jesus rocked my world and changed my life. I really can't explain it. I was just there when it happened. (laughs) I hadn't been the same. I know who I was. I heard the gospel. I know who I am now. And the only way that could have happened is if somebody outside of myself did that, and his name is Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't doesn't call you to do anything else but to testify to what he has done in his death, burial, and resurrection and what he's done in your life through that message. It's a mission of witness. I think this is interesting to bring to our attention too. It's a costly mission. He calls us to be witnesses. And if you didn't know this, the Greek there for witness is is the Greek word martis, which is where we get our word martyr from. And implied in this passage, 11 of these apostles, 10 of them were literally executed. They were martyred. John lived to be an old man and and died of old age, church tradition tells us in Ephesus, but he had multiple attempts on his life. There's no telling how many of these early believers in the first and second generations that were martyred into the Roman Empire, and it's one of those things to tell us that if The gospel that fuels this mission was costly, that it cost God his own son. We can't expect those of us that bear witness to it to just get off scot-free. Now, where we're not suffering as believers right now are across the world, many believers and local churches have to hide underground and meet in secret. I got word just this morning from Asia, there was a a church because of COVID and government restrictions and they haven't met in in like over, like like two years or close to two years they haven't met. They met this morning for the first time. Man, I thought that was awesome. Got news of that. But we may not face that in some sense, but let me tell you what, in America, what it will cost you to be a witness to the gospel is first probably your American comfort, your American security, your American embracing of what it means to be an American. Let me remind you this morning, you're a Christian first, you're an American second. That's your identity. That's, that's your identity. We're reminded that to know Jesus will cost us everything. Fourth, let me mention, this is a worldwide mission. Notice it was in Jerusalem and all Judea. In all Judea. Some scholars and Greek scholars think that the term Judea and Samaria are combined and to the end of the earth. So however you take it, it's either three regions or four regions. It's base camp, Jerusalem. It's spreading out a little bit, Judea and Samaria. If you just want to divide those a little bit, it would basically be a state or a region. Samaria has often been noticed as the place where nobody wants to go. <laughs> it's the places that you would naturally avoid Jews that would go from Judea to Galilee would go out of the way. They would, they would basically like go to Brookhaven to, to get to Meridian, like because you're trying to avoid that place called Wayne County. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, we won't go there. It's kind of a West Jones joke. Sorry if you didn't catch it. Okay, anyway, they would go out of the way to avoid Samaria. And Jesus says, no, you're going to be my witness there. And you're going to be my witness to the end of the earth. This is a worldwide mission, y'all. This isn't for people that look like us and talk like us and eat like us and have culture like us only. Every Sunday morning when you wake up and you come in here to worship, it's an awesome thing to be reminded that there's believers 
all across the earth that are going to sleep and they worship Jesus before us because they've already been and met as the people of God. And that helps us, doesn't it? That we're not in this alone, that there's a worldwide church and they suffer, we suffer with them. When they rejoice, we rejoice with them. Right now, three billion people on the planet have never heard the name Jesus and guess what? Cross Point Church is responsible for that. As we seek as a church and as we seek as a group of pastors to ask the Lord, Lord, how would you have us plugged into your world, worldwide mission? Now, he's got us plugged in some places, praise God. But Lord, where would you have us? What, what's your will for us as a church? Next week, really, really excited about this. I guess we landed on it. Reach, right? That's what we're going to call it. Gospel reach. So in the middle of the service, what we're going to start doing is to have this before us. In the middle of the worship set, we're going to pause for a few minutes and we're going to talk about an unreached people in the world. We're going to talk about a missionary that we support or missionaries that we know. We're going to talk about uh, a country. We're going to do one of these a week. And we're going to put the unreached world before our eyes and for a few minutes, we're going to seek the Lord on behalf of those people. And that God would use believers everywhere, empower them with the Holy Spirit. Lord, use us. Empower us with the Holy Spirit. You know what? I think it's awesome. When you start praying for unreached peoples, people's heart get moved for unreached peoples. And occasionally, I'm not trying to scare you this morning, the Holy Spirit may come to you and be like, hey, you, go do something about it. How awesome would it be in the next several years if we sent a missionary from our own church to unreached peoples? Think about that. That's what it means for his mission. I just want to encourage you and remind you, last part of this mission, it's possible. It's a possible mission. Isn't that good? You get overwhelmed. Lord, it's 7 billion people on this planet. So many cultures, so many countries, so many. Like, like I'm just Jones County. Like, what do I do? <laughs> Praise God, it ain't all on you because you're going to receive power. And he's going to make you what you couldn't be in and of yourself. And he's going to allow you where you live and where you work and where you shop and where you watch ball games. As you submit and surrender yourself to his mission, he, he's going to empower you to be what you couldn't be apart from him. It's possible. This is possible. This is possible. But to get to 9 through 11 as we move on this morning, all of this rests upon the ascension. So let's look at the ascension secondly this morning. Let's look at the ascension of Jesus Christ. I want to make a few comments about 9, 10, and 11, and then I want us to kind of zoom out and see some realities of the ascension. So one of the last things here that he says is that he gives the mission. He puts it before them. He did this in the Luke account also. You're going to preach repentance. You're going to preach forgiveness of sins to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Let me say something real quick before I jump in the ascension. I was talking because I feel like somebody needs to hear this this morning. I was talking to a friend this morning. We were texting about this passage. Isn't it amazing that it started in Jerusalem? We talked about that in small group this past week, mentioned that in the message. Remember, we, we start the mission where God calls us to. What was Jerusalem in their minds? Pentecost hadn't happened yet. Jerusalem was a place of pain. It was a place of suffering. It was a place of rejection. And for Peter specifically, it was a place of failure, right? Can I encourage you this morning? Sometimes in the place of your greatest failure and suffering, that's where you'll be anointed with power, and that's where the witnessing will begin. 
Spiritual brokenness precedes spiritual power. If you've been broken lately, hang in there. It's going to be the place where he meets you and he gives you what you need to be able to testify on his behalf. So he tells them this, and then in verse 9, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This event's recorded in Luke's gospel. It's recorded in the book of Acts. Luke ends his gospel this way. He begins the book on the church in this way. The ascension is something that we have missed out on the blessing of. Three verses here, three verses in Luke, but the implications of it run throughout Scripture. It's kind of fun as you read it. It looks like that they're listening and you receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And it's almost as if towards the end of that sentence, like he starts moving. And Luke says it this way, that Jesus was blessing them. And while he blessed them, he was taken up. So he was still talking. <laughs> and it's almost like they're looking and they're so enraptured and listening to what he says. The neck starts moving up and up and up. And then you get this sense that they're just so overcome, they just stand there, and they're kind of like me staring at the Mustang. Wow, that's really high. And then they can't see him anymore, and it even gets a little more comical. They just, there's an awkward silence. Where did he go? What's happening? <laughs> what do we do now? Last night at the class reunion, we gathered up and I said, does anybody, you know, want to share anything with the class? And it just got like really awkward and I, I jumped right back in because Americans, we don't like sitting in awkwardness, right? These Jews are standing there and they're looking up and they're, <laughs> what do we do now? God hooked them up. He sent two angels. <laughs> what, why? <laughs> what, why are you standing here staring up into heaven? And again, we're encouraged by this passage that the disciples had forgotten the fact that he said, hey, I'm leaving, I'm going away. He'd been with them 40 days, and so perhaps the, the imminency or the immediate sense of the departure was not before them, and he left. What can we see specifically here about this event that would encourage us this morning? I want you to see first it was a supernatural event, the ascension. It was a supernatural event. You ever tried to go up? Newton's first, second, and third laws of motion will be immediately applied unto thee, right? If you jump, you're coming down. But isn't it interesting that the last thing that Christ did on this earth was to show that he was Lord over all creation? I thought of it this morning. Here in this text, the laws of nature bend and bow to their maker. His creation cannot hold him. It not only was death couldn't hold him. Here, something that applies to every single person on this earth does not apply to Christ because he defies the laws of nature itself. Oswald Chambers said it, said it this way. 
To say that Jesus Christ, quote, broke the law of gravity when he walked on the water and when he ascended is a misstatement. Jesus brought in a new series of facts for which the law of gravity could not account for. Jesus said, I'm Lord. And let me just give you one more visual of that, y'all. Here I go. He's taken up. It's a supernatural event. We see creation itself, even while people in and out of Jerusalem are still trying to reject Jesus. How he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But here, <laughs> nature itself bows before its Lord and does not have a hold on him. It's interesting though, it says in verse nine that as he was lifted up, a cloud took him out of their sight. Obviously it's there so that they didn't see him anymore, but there's, there's more to it than this. And that's what I want you to see Secondly, about the ascension, this is supernatural glory. Clouds in the scripture represented glory in the Old Testament and Exodus. As the children of Israel came out of Egypt, guess what there was in the day? There was a cloud of presence. At night, there was a pillar of fire. If some kid got scared in his tent in the tribe of Ephraim during the night, he could look outside his tent and he could see a pillar of fire that God was in residence and God was present. In the day... The children of Israel could look up and they could behold the cloud of the presence. When Israel built the tabernacle, it said in Exodus 40 that the cloud of the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In Leviticus 16, when atonement was made, it was the cloud of the presence of the Lord that was over the mercy seat. In Numbers 9, a cloud covered the tabernacle. In Psalm 99, God spoke from the cloud. But when we get to the New Testament, at the transfiguration, James and Peter and John are sitting there, and Christ is transfigured. Literally, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Not, not fully, but when Jesus was transfigured, it was almost as if the glory that inhabited and filled the tabernacle of the God-man Jesus, Peter and James and John were able just to see a little bit on the inside. And the Bible says when he was transfigured, a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter talks about it, the same experience in 2 Peter 1. And, and he says, we saw the majestic glory. 1 Timothy 3 says when Jesus ascended, he was taken up into glory. And we're told that when he comes again, he will come on the clouds. So this cloud here, just don't think of it as, you know, nimbo stratus, cumulus, cirrus, whatever kind of cloud it was up there. Luke is telling us that Jesus is entering back and receiving the glory that he had with the Father from all eternity. He prayed for that in John 19, didn't he? Father, glorify me in your presence with the same glory. So we see glory here. So the cloud takes him out of their sight, takes him out of their sight, and they're gazing into heaven. And the angels come, and notice specifically it says here, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taking up will come. You see, you have the last part of the gospel there, don't you? A supernatural promise. 
that the ascension of him going up is a testimony to the fact that he will come again. Can we be reminded this morning, y'all, that Jesus is coming soon? He is. And he's going to make all things right. He's, all of his enemies will be made his footstool, and he will reign upon the earth. And when he brings time and the universe to a close, we will dwell with him forever. Now, we mentioned last week, it's not for us to know the times and the seasons and the dates that the Father is appointed by his own authority. So we know he's coming, and we prepare for his coming, and we study scripture, but our focus is on doing what he has called us to do until he comes. But the ascension brings before us the truth that he will come again soon. Now, in this passage about the ascension, heaven is mentioned four times. They were gazing into heaven. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taking up into heaven will come again the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let me just talk just for a second about the details of the ascension. When the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about heaven in three senses. It talks about heaven as if like the atmosphere that we look upon, the blue and sometimes the black and the dark. That, that is what the Bible calls heaven. But the Bible also calls heaven the second heaven regarding space. In the beginning, God created the heavens or the, the heaven and the earth. So space as we know it. But heaven is also used, particularly maybe in the, the way that, that it comes first to your mind, the place where God's throne is. Uh, not, a, not a physical place like the atmosphere and space, but the spiritual reality where God himself dwells. Yes, his Presence inhabits the heavens and the earth. Yes, he's omnipresent, but we're talking about the throne of God where the seraphim and the cherubim proclaim holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And the Bible teaches us that that's where Christ went. Now, that's just amazing in itself that he just didn't go up into the atmosphere and and I don't know how this works. I'm not trying to speak and speculate where Scripture's silent. But, but Jesus transcended literal physical reality and entered the spiritual realm and went into where he came from, heaven. I don't miss this. This is what's so amazing. And this is what leads us into the realities of the ascension. When the Son of God, the eternal word, who for all eternity, when he took on flesh, he left heaven as God. All of God crammed into the womb of a teenage girl named Mary. All the great omniscience crammed into the small human skull. All of the heart of God crammed into a small chest. And he grew inside the womb. He was birthed. And he took on flesh and became just like us. Now, you know what the ascension teaches us? This is a supernatural effect. What comes from the ascension is this. This is what the Bible is saying. Jesus left heaven as God, but he went back as the God-man. Psalm 24. 
Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. One preacher said it this way. It was almost as if Christ ascends and he approaches the gates of heaven and he calls out for the gates of heaven to be open. And the answer comes back, who dares request that the gates of heaven be open to a man? But it's not just the man. It's the man Christ Jesus. And the gates of heaven that were shut in the Garden of Eden from men approaching God are now opened because the God-man takes our humanity back to heaven with him. The ascension's a big deal. Jesus goes back. He not only came to represent God to us, he not only came to be made like us, he took all that we are back to heaven. And this is why the ascension is so amazing. Is that in heaven now, we not only have someone who is distinct from us, God, we have someone who is made just like us, the God, man. Now, when you start thinking about this, it makes sense. Let me, let me just reference real, real quick the book of Luke. So Jesus is with them for 40 days, and he ascends. And the Bible says that they worship him, and then they go back into Jerusalem with joy. And it's almost as like, dude, he's gone, let's celebrate. Does that strike a chord with anybody? I mean, it's like, like, why would they be filled with joy? Like, they were so bummed out, weren't they, before the cross? Sorrows filled your heart that I'm leaving. We don't want you to go. And the very time that he leaves, they're overcome with joy, and they go back, and they're just like celebrating. You know why? Because over those 40 days, he, he told them what he was going to do. He taught them what the ascension would accomplish. So this is where I want us to, to land this morning. I want to give you some realities of the ascension so that you will see how these three verses in Acts chapter one, man, how they open up the rest of the book of Acts and how you see the rest of the book of Acts was... <laughs> unfolded because of this reality. What did Jesus do when he took our humanity back with him? What did Jesus do when he ascended back to heaven? I would suggest first, Jesus went up first to secure our redemption as Savior. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, if you don't, no worries, we'll get there. There was one time a year that the high priest would kill a specific animal outside the tabernacle or the temple on a bronze altar. And the sacrifice was made outside the building. But then, in order for the sacrifice to be made, for it to be applied, for it really to have the sufficiency, for it to really count, we should say, that blood was taken inside the holy place. And one time a year, the high priest would pass beyond the veil, beyond the most holy place, and he would take the blood that was shed outside the tent and he would sprinkle it on the lid, on the cover of the mercy seat, and thereby the sacrifice made outside the temple, outside the tabernacle, outside the holy of holies, 
was fully applied inside. Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews chapter nine. I've got it for you on the screen. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 12. Jesus entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing what? An eternal redemption. You know why the ascension's so important? The Bible's teaching us that when Jesus ascended, he took his own blood into a holy place not made by Moses and carpenters and artisans on earth, but to the very altar of heaven and the blood that was shed on the cross outside was taken inside before God and it was sprinkled on our behalf before the throne of God. And guess what? We have an eternal redemption. You know why we're eternally secure? You know why we can't lose our salvation? You know why once we're born again, if we're saved, we stay saved? Because Jesus has ascended to secure for us eternal redemption. And the Bible even says that his blood speaks. It's living blood. It doesn't dry up. It's not scabbed over. That Christ's blood speaks on our behalf. And this is why the ascension is so awesome. This is why, as a Christian, you don't despair. Even when you struggle. Even when you feel those doubts. Because you have been included in something that he has purchased and applied and provided for with his own blood. What he shed outside has been taken inside and you're secure eternally. That's what the ascension teaches us. There's another reality of the ascension. Jesus not only secured our redemption as Savior, secondly, he represents us as advocate. So he came as God and he went back as the God man. Why? To be our advocate. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 says this, John says, little children, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. <laughs> it's not God's will for us to sin. I hope you know that. <laughs> we sin. It's not God's will. We're, we're not perfect. We're, we're striving towards it. If you got it somewhere in your psyche that God's cool with you sinning, like, like chunk that thought, okay? Like, like God's really not cool with us sinning. If we're living in sin right now, like God's against that, okay? Like, like, we hate sin primarily, first and foremost, we hate our own sin, right? God hates sin. We hate sin. We still sin, and so the struggle is we're, we're working through that. And so notice what he says. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, Jesus went back to the Father. And right now he's at the right hand of the Father, equal in authority and glory and power. And as we as Christians who strive not to sin, can I just confess this to y'all? I confess that, um, I don't know if it was in a small group or somewhere else, I, I was getting ready to do a, uh, two weeks ago I was getting ready to do a premarital counseling session for a married couple on a Tuesday afternoon. And Tuesday morning, Lauren and I got into an argument. So that's a great way to start the day, right? Yeah. Let, 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 me, let me teach you how you're supposed to love your wife and honor your wife, but then go pick a fight with her before you do it. You know what I'm talking about? Just, yeah. So, so the rub and the reality of how, man, I, I hate sin, and man, I want to turn from sin, but you know what? I find myself sinning. I'm not cast off. 
I'm not thrown aside because I have a representative with the Father. And as we said last week, the only man-made thing in heaven are the scars on his hands and his feet. And the reason the Father forgives us is not because of who we are, but because of who his Son is. And we've been included in his Son, and we have the righteousness of his Son. And Jesus pleads on our behalf. And the Father, he's not just grudgingly forgives us. The Father is pleased to forgive us because Christ intercedes for us. That's your advocate. This is why we find Peter in the book of Acts, man, boldly preaching, boldly proclaiming, because he knows that Christ represents him to the Father, and all that stuff that he did, and and all that sin that he committed, and all that denial, he's not living in that guilt, because the scars speak on his behalf. The ascension tells us that Jesus represents us, but it also tells us that Jesus intercedes for us. This is even a little deeper of representation. Jesus is our high priest. High priest in the right sense. High priest in the biblical sense. He represents us to God. He approaches God on our behalf. You ever wonder what Jesus is doing right now? Because some people think, you know, yeah, he, he died and he rose again. Now he's just kind of like chilling, right? I mean, that's maybe a thought that comes to our mind. No, Jesus is at work right now just as much as he was at work on this earth. Hebrews tells us what he's doing right now. He is able, Hebrews seven twenty five. he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Why is the ascension important? Because Jesus right now is interceding for his people as high priest. You ever ask somebody to pray for you? Now, whether we want to admit it or not, it could get awkward in here. Like, the people that we ask to pray for us, like, it's not people that we think, like, don't walk with God. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Like, be like, hey, man, I know you never read your Bible. Hey, man, I know you don't, you don't seek, you know, after the Lord. Hey, would you pray for me? Like, like we're going we to be honest about that, you know what I'm talking about? And most of the time, we ask people to pray for us, like, built into our psyche. It's probably not correct, but it's just kind of like, they're a little closer to God than I am, you know? Their, their prayers aren't as, like, fuzzy as mine are, you know what I'm talking about? Like, there's not, like, white noise in their prayers like it is in mine. Dude, God hears our prayers, praise God. But I'm just saying, this is, the, this is what we think. We ask people to pray for us that we feel like remotely know God, right? And we're comforted when somebody prays for us. There's one time in, in India, I went and preached at this meeting, and there was this 90-year-old lady there. And for all her life, she had stood on the side of the road and preached the gospel. And what she would do is, she couldn't speak very loud, so she would go get this, uh, like, young guys, and they're like, come with me. And so it's like, okay, grandmother, I will come with you. You know I mean? Just honor this. And she would have them stand by her on the road, and she would tell them what to say, and they, they were her microphone. I mean, guilted into preaching the gospel. I'm cool with that. I mean, as long as Christ is proclaimed, right? So this little lady, and she's, I mean, she's literally like that tall. And man, I was in her presence, and it was like, like, this is upper room stuff. I'm talking about like, I mean, it was just like a groovy vibe. I was like, presence of God. And when the meeting was over, because I had to preach the meeting, and I'm just like, all you people are way more spiritual than me. I walked over there, and I, she didn't even speak my language. I said, would you tell her to pray for me? And she like put hands on my head and prayed over me. And I was just like, ah. Oh. You know what I mean? It's just like one of those moments, right? <laughs> We're comforted when people pray for us. But you know right now that there is someone praying for you who's not on this earth, 
He's beside the Father. And he knows exactly how to pray for you because he's perfect, because he's God. And he knows exactly how to pray for you because he's walked in your shoes as a human. And he stands before the throne. And the Bible says that while he was on this this earth, he prayed with tears, with loud cries, with weeping. Not just some surface prayer to get the job done and check the box. He's inwardly moved over what he sees. He's inwardly He's inwardly stirred based off what, what, he, what he notices. Nothing escapes his sight. His eye is on the sparrow, and it's on you too. What if this morning we heard someone back in this room crying and shouting and praying? And the, the longer we listen, we heard our name being spoken And we cracked open the door, and it wasn't a preacher. It wasn't our grandmother. It wasn't our small group leader. It was was Christ himself praying for us. Now, you tell me how then you could see that and leave here and be scared of anything. Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane said this, If I could hear Jesus Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear 10,000 enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. That's why he ascended. All these things that we walk through in our life, before they even come before our mind, before they even come into our life, he's praying. So he looked at Peter. He said, hey, Peter, Satan asked to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. And when you have turned back, strengthen the brethren. What that tells us? Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus prayed for us before it comes, and Jesus is confident by his prayer and the Spirit's work in your life that it's going to work out. Christ is praying for you this morning because of his ascension. A few more of these. He went up forth to sit down as Lord of all. This is really important when you start dealing with a global mission. If we have a regional deity (laughs) or a local God, it's hard for us Americans to to think through that, but throughout the world, you know, they have a a local idol that they call upon or a regional deity. And the strength of Christianity is not that it proclaims that there's one God for a small group of people. It is the fact that Christianity unashamedly for 2,000 years has proclaimed that Jesus Christ is the Lord of every person that's ever lived. Hebrews chapter 1 says this. You had not realized it yet, Hebrews is a good book <laughs> to think about this through. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. That Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he what? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited as superior. So why did Jesus go up? To sit down. Why did Jesus ascend? To sit down in authority. Ephesians says it this way. give you one more of these. 
that when God worked in Christ, he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the, the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. Right now, Jesus Christ, right now, like right now in 2021, and all the craziness that's going on, Jesus Christ is in absolute control and is sovereign over every single molecule, country, galaxy, planet, atom, person in this universe. Now I say that and you might say, okay, why is my life the way it is? Why doesn't God eradicate evil? You know why he is not doing that yet? Because of his mercy, he's giving people time to repent and believe the gospel. If he were to eradicate all evil at this moment, some of you would be eradicated and die in your sin. And he didn't want that to happen. Hear the gospel today. Repent and believe the gospel and submit to this great king. But when we think about the ascension, he went up to sit down. And so now everywhere we go on this earth and proclaim his gospel, we are already going somewhere that he rules and reigns over. It's a game changer. That's why before we go, we pray and we ask him because he's already there. He goes ahead of us to prepare the way for us. But here's where it all ties in finally this morning. Why is the ascension important? Because Jesus went up to send the Holy Spirit down. If you would flip over to Acts 2, this is the last verse we'll look at. Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching, we'll get to this whenever we get to it. <laughs> Acts 2.32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we're all witnesses. Therefore, exalted at the right hand of God and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He, this Jesus, has poured out on you yourselves what you're seeing and hearing. Jesus ascended. Why? To pour the Spirit out upon us. Why? To send us out. So the coming of the Spirit and the sending of the church is wholly dependent upon Jesus going up. So we lay this foundation in Acts 1, 9 through 11, that the ascension comes before the mission. The mission rests upon the ascension. And so real practical this morning, when you start thinking through what the gospel is, he came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and then we stop <laughs> at at. A few more words on there. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. He ascended. He's reigning and he's coming back. Just don't stop it. If he, if he raised from the dead, okay, where is he now? <laughs> where did he go? Is he still walking around in Jerusalem? No, he ascended. Let me close this morning illustrating how this works in real life. February of last year, I was in North India in a place where people in this room have been with me before. And we went out during the day, me and another brother from India, we went out and we were sharing and we prayed that God would direct us to some people. First people we came to were women at a well. That was pretty cool. Shared with them, just walking around. And we were specifically like looking for 
a family. And man, we, we couldn't find them. We were going, we were, we were looking for this person that we had met. We couldn't find them. We went up on a hill. On top of the hill, there was a wedding. We got invited to the wedding. We got free lunch. That was awesome, but we can't find these people. So we'd been out three or four hours, and so we were getting ready to return back to where we came. So we came back down the hill, and, <laughs> and we come to this house, and it was right near our car. For some reason, we didn't go there. And so we went, and it was this family. Like, yeah, we overlooked them, and now we found them. So we walk in, and there's a member of the family. We didn't know, but we told him we knew his relatives. We had met his relatives. So he invited us to sit down, and he's sitting on a bed, and we take out a Hindi New Testament, and we give it to him. And he, he starts saying how he can't read. His, his eyesight is really bad, but he thanks us. And so he said, man, that's cool. You know, maybe you can get someone in your family to read you, you know, about Jesus. And so we talked to him for a little bit, and then we shared a little bit. And so we get done sharing. It's just simple gospel, nothing crazy. Just literally like sitting on a bed that's doubling for a, a, a couch outside and just talking. I'm sharing a little English. It's being translated into Hindi. And we're just, I mean, no, no, no fireworks, no smoke, nothing. Just talk. <laughs> a few minutes later, while we're talking, he opens that Bible and he starts taking his finger and he starts mumbling. He turns the page. I was like, I thought that dude couldn't read. So we said, well, you know, what's going on? My, my pastor friend asked him. He said, oh, I, I, I don't know. I can see now. What? And it, was like, it was funny. It really wasn't like a big deal to him. I mean, it was like... You know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'd be like, I can see now. But he was started to read. Wow, this is interesting. And by the way, there's no like line from heaven where Jesus is saying, hey, I'm doing this right now. You need to know this is what's happening. No, like in the moment, God had like, I don't know, dried up his cataracts or something. And some of y'all like, I want some of that. You know what I'm talking about? But he, <laughs> this dude like is like sight is healed instantly. So he said, hey, man. Read this for us. We flipped over to John and we said, read that. And he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's reading this in his language. We say, hey, read that one. And the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Read, read that one. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has seen God, but the only God he has shown him and revealed him. What I found myself was I was outside sitting on a bed at somebody's house at 3,000 feet at the base of the Himalayas and Jesus Christ was Lord. The gospel is just as powerful as it's ever been and the Spirit was working in ways like we didn't feel it. It wasn't some supercharge of energy. No matter where I go, Jesus is Lord. No matter where I go, the gospel works. But, but let, me, let, me, let me apply it in a much more powerful way than just a guy's eyesight being healed. I saw a classmate at our reunion, tailgate Friday night, a few hours after the Mustang ascended. We were gathered out there eating food, and Scott Cash cooked a bunch of meat, and it was awesome. And I saw one of my classmates. We didn't have that conversation there, but my mind, mind was jogged. About 10 years ago, yeah, so we'd been out of high school 10 years. This person sent me a message on Facebook and just said, I just want to thank you. When I was in high school, I wasn't a Christian. 
And I watched how you lived and I watched, you know, what you did at West Jones. And she said, just, just thanks. She said, I'm a believer now. Thanks. Thanks for talking about Jesus, sometimes annoyingly and to the point of too much. Thank you. Thanks for showing Jesus. See, oftentimes, an imperfect attempt to live for Jesus at West Jones High School is more powerful than eyesight being healed in the Himalayas. Like, like don't oppose those against each other. Jesus uses both. But oftentimes, where you are and where you live and what you do, you need to be reminded that you are not in a place that he is not reigning over. You are in the exact spot that he is reigning over. And the Spirit's going to empower you right where you are because he's Lord. So, so we see that he went up. That paves the way for everything else. He went up. He went up. He went up to send us out. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word this morning. Thanks for the reality that you went up. We pray this would strengthen our hearts. That this would encourage our hearts. That this would give us hope when we feel hopeless. That at the right hand of the Father is a man like us, a human like us, glorified, yes, but, but he's, he was made like us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you, our great high priest, that you speak on our behalf, that you're Lord of all, that we're not talking to one among many, we're, we're talking to the sovereign king of the entire universe. Thank you so much, Lord, that you went up. Thank you that the Spirit is available to us. Lord, we ask that this week that you would empower us with your Spirit so that we might talk about what we've experienced because of you and your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you so much, Lord, for the ascension and what it means to our hearts. Churches, we sit before the Lord in prayer this morning. How's God spoken to you through the Word? How did the scripture move your heart? How is God calling you to respond? Maybe you just need to admit, Lord, I, I, I get hopeless sometimes, but I glory in the fact that you represent me. You pray for me. You're Lord of all. Maybe that's your response to Jesus this morning. Some of you may not know Christ. Justin and I, Ryan, Paul, Daniel, we're available for you. We'd love to talk to you. After the service, but as we sing this morning, we'll be at the front if you need to talk to us. We'd love to counsel with you and tell you about Christ. You're more than welcome to come talk to us. We're going to respond in worship. We're going to respond in prayer. However, you need to respond to Jesus. Obey him because you love him. Lord, thanks for the word. Work it in our hearts. Help us to live in light and the reality of who you are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, let's worship, let's pray, let's obey.